friends, and welcome to the Gita Brown Show, bringing harmony into everyday life. I love being creative and I love wellness, and I've been teaching both for 30 years. To be creative, it's helpful if you have a lifestyle that supports your wellness because that's where creativity starts. My philosophy is simple and based in yoga tradition. Simple practices done daily over a long period of time will naturally lead you to a life full of wellness, and from there, your creativity can flow. And today we are talking with a very special guest, Louise Miller, about how to pursue your passion and keep your day job at the same time. Louise is just an absolutely amazing, generous, creative person. She's the author of The City Baker's Guide to Country Living, which I have right here, totally fangirling here because I love this book so much. And she's also the author of The Late Bloomers Club, another fantastic book that I cannot recommend highly enough. I think I've given them out to gifts to almost every single female in my life. She is also, get this guys, a professional pastry chef and is a self-described art school dropout, an amateur flower gardener, I love this one, an old-time banjo player, an obsessive moviegoer, and champion of old dogs. Yay, we love that. She writes and bakes uh, in Boston, Massachusetts, and I'm just thrilled to have her here today because she's going to really help us understand and get some great life lessons on how to pursue your creative passion while maintaining a job besides that. So Louise, welcome and welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm to be here. You know, I have to also, can I fangirl a little bit more? <laughs> because people, so a late bloomers, uh, the late bloomers club has praise from, let's see, it was a New England Society 2019 book award finalist, has praise from People Magazine, USA Today, Book Page, The Boston Globe, Law, Law Library Journal, uh, City Baker's Guide to Country Living was an Indie Next and Library Reads pick, great reviews from the New York Times, L, Real Simple, Bon Appetit, and guys, these books are not only creative and fun, you could, one reviewer could sort of compare them to Gilmore Girls, but the descriptions of the food, Louise, I mean, that's where your pastry chef is shining. Not only are they warm and full of creativity and full of stories of people finding themselves, but they also have amazing descriptive imagery in them. And I fell in love with Louise's books. I was happy to hear her speak at a writer's conference. <laughs> you were actually talking about how to write a book proposal. And there was such mm -hmm. a huge line for you. As soon as you finished your talk, I was like, oh, I will never get up to meet this woman. What am I going to do? <laughs> and so I'm thrilled to have you here today and to talk and to really share. So could you just talk a little bit about what is it like to be you know, a professional pastry chef and a writer? Like, how did you come to that? And how do you balance both of those things? Great questions. Um, so I've been baking for, oh my gosh, it's it might be going on 30 years, that's possible. I've been making, <laughs> I guess not quite. I was, 20, I was baking since I was 22, and I'm 48 now. Um, so that's been a long road, and I, I definitely spent the first 10 years baking, trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And I finally accepted that that's what I was doing. Um, and so baking really came out of, just that I had dropped out of art school and um, my father had died suddenly. And the only thing I knew was that I needed to do something where I wasn't like dealing with the public directly, which sounds terrible, but I just was really <laughs> grieving and just couldn't um, manage 
uh, being just day-to-day in the public. And so that was how I got my first baking job. I figured I was doing this, and it's hands-on, and it will be a really different experience. Um, and it's just been a funny, very, very enjoyable career. Um, and writing, I, you know, I knew I wanted to be a writer the day I quit art school, which was, you know, back in, like, 91. And I didn't start writing... It was like 15 or 18 years later that I actually started. Um, wow. I'm a huge, uh, I'm a huge, I'm really a late bloomer myself, and that's where um, <laughs> the title of my second novel came from. Um, but I'm a huge proponent for helping people not wait that long. <laughs> so I love, uh, I love talking about uh, sort of things like why we don't do our creative work and, and how we can start our creative work and just kind of uh, trying to kind of untangle all the things that get in our way. Um, but yeah, so I finally started writing and the thing that really got me, it was funny, I mean, it's really weird. Everything I write ends up being kind of in some ways about, I think, about grieving. And um, the reason I started writing was I had this crazy, crazy year, you know, and I was the kind of person where, like, I didn't write, I had a lot of excuses about not writing, I felt like I didn't have enough money to take classes, I felt like I didn't have any time, um, but I just had a year that was, like, a year that we've all had where I experienced tons of loss, like, my brother got sick, and he died, and my beloved, beloved dog got sick, and he died, and it was just this moment where I felt really like you need to either, you know, try your dream or let go of your dream. But it was, you know, I just couldn't spend another year kind of buying inspirational writer's guides and <laughs> writing books and then letting them close out. Um, so I promised myself um, when I was in the thick of all of that, that when things settled down, I would, I would start. I would just give it a try. And I took an adult bed pass in uh, Cambridge, and um, that was where I wrote the first chapter that, of what ended up being Baker's Guide. Wow. I mean, I didn't know there was such a huge lag from, like, that knowledge, that dream that you had inside yourself to when you actually started writing your first chapters. Oh, it was huge. And it's so I mean, common, really right, like, that creative block? It's like, why it do is. we do that? Why do we block ourselves so much? No, I think you know. I I think a lot about that, and for me, it was like a not knowing where to start. I had a really hard time, like owning that I could be a writer. Like, mm. what did that look like? And um, and the more I didn't do it, the bigger it became. Of until course. it became this like monster in the room, you know, where um, I was just terrified to try. And I don't know if I was terrified to fail or I was terrified to have people judge me or, you know, all of that, I think. Um, I think a lot of people, it's like the identity piece and, and um, kind of, it's a vulnerable thing, I think, to do our creative work. Like, I, I, it's, it's putting a part of yourself out into the world um, that we don't always show. And I think that can be a little scary, too. I absolutely agree. That's why I love what you said. The first thing that you did was you took a class Mm. um, because like that feeling vulnerable and also that owning the identity, I think that's when we need to reach out to people who are a little bit ahead 
uh, on the path that we want to follow can be so helpful because they not only can like reflect back to us, oh, hey, I see that potential in you. Like, yes, Louise, you have beautiful books in you. Keep writing. Just put one sentence in front of the other. But also it gives us like sharing space with other people who are also feeling really vulnerable, especially when you're creating something from your own life experiences. You said you're writing from grief. So even though you're creating characters that are, you know, fiction and novels, still, it's still you and your life experience. So having that shared community sounds like it kind of maybe was a little bit of a turning point for you and actually getting the words out and down on the page. Absolutely. I think, I think having support is so important and it could be one person or Mm -hmm. it could be a class or I ebb and flow with, you know, I have like different times during my writing process where I like feedback and times where I really don't like feedback yes. and, <laughs> and just kind of getting to know what you need um, in the process. I absolutely agree. There's sometimes when I'm writing, when I'm like, everyone just leave me alone. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Please do not look over my shoulder. I'm not sending this to anyone. Like you have to write sometimes like nobody is watching. No one's looking over your shoulder and then knowing when it's time to then get feedback. But I think particularly if you're brand new, finding that really great first reader who's going to tell you everything that they love so you can keep doing more of that. Because when you're so vulnerable, if someone rips it to shreds, I think that can stop and become a block for a lot of people. Absolutely. Um, I took a really damaging workshop when I was about a third of the way into the book and, um, and I didn't write for six months. Oh, that breaks my heart. (laughs) <laughs> so, yeah, I really advise people all the time. It's a balance, right? Like, but I, I really advise people to to treat, you know, treat your work really respectfully. Mm. And so don't just hand it to anyone. Like, be very particular about who you share your stuff with. Um, it's like, it's so important to get feedback. But I think there's this mythology I think around all artwork, but particularly about writing, where you're supposed to have this like really thick skin and people are just supposed to rip what you're doing to shreds. And I'm like, I don't know a single writer that has thick skin. I think like the reason we're writers is we have really thin skin. Yes. And um, yes. So that's really counterintuitive. I absolutely 100% agree with that. And as a teaching artist, but in music, it's the same thing. If a kid comes in and plays the clarinet for me, if I break them down, that's so damaging to their creative persona and who they are. And this is a great little place for me to mention to people that Louise is teaching. Don't you want this woman as your teacher? She's doing a series (laughs) of writing workshops. You can find all of the information on her writing workshops at louisemiller.net, which we will link underneath this episode everywhere it gets posted, especially over on my website. Um, But I think, you know, you're exactly that kind of compassionate teacher who can balance the feedback with the care and the support, but also the rigor of craft, right? Because to really pursue the dream of being a writer at some point, you have to be able to look at the work objectively. So like you said, it's a balance. It's a balance. It really is a balance. How did you, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say like, I think part of the process of like learning how you work is is figuring out when it's just creative time for yourself and then when it is time to add that like level of rigor to the craft right um that could be a lot of trial and error and i find it really changes from project to project Mm. it's not written in stone yes 
And I love what you said too about owning it. And for some reason, for, for most of us, when we are pursuing our creative passion, that sense of um, not owning it, writers do this, oh, I'm not really a writer, even though they're writing and they've been published. They still don't call themselves a writer. Or I teach crazy. like adult musicians and they'll say, well, I'm not really a musician. I'm like, what do you mean? You played five concerts this year. You're right? a musician. <laughs> it's like, but there's the, like some sense that there's like some strata, you know, like you only belong to that echelon once X, Y, and Z happens. But right. actually- and the goalposts always move. Yes. You know, like oh, true. Everyone constantly redefining, like when they'll, you know, when they'll feel really like they'll take themselves seriously. Yeah. But, and wouldn't it be uh, nice if you had taken yourself seriously maybe 10, 15 years before yeah, <laughs> as a writer? Like we might have had like been. five books on the pile here right now. Right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's some weird thing. I've been talking to a lot of creatives lately about this. Like, what is it like, what can we as middle-aged ladies do mm. for the millennials right now so that they can maybe like shorten that time span between when they have that dream and when they start implementing it? So they don't do what we did like in our 20s and 30s is sort of like waiting for later, not feeling worthy, feeling too vulnerable, not owning it. I'm right. really interested in like encouraging people like, man, like you want that creative dream, like start taking small actions. It doesn't have to be that you write a novel right now, but you could certainly take a class with Louise Miller. You could, <laughs> you know, you could read more. You can set small actionable things so that that dream doesn't become this deferred thing, which for a lot of people then Louise, they'd never do it, right? Like it right. just, like you said, right. it becomes this big thing that you've never written the novel and then it's insurmountable. Um, and I think one of the biggest blocks I really want to ask you about that I hear from people all the time, I don't have enough time or my, my job is such like an energy suck that I have nothing left, (laughs) you know? So how in the world do you do all this amazing pastry chef stuff? And then you write novels and you teach like how, how, how do you do that? I think the most important step for me at the beginning was really letting go of perfectionism because I had such hang-ups about, well, if I'm going to write, I need a three-hour block of time and no one can be home. It has to be totally quiet. quiet. Yeah, and then, like, all the laundry had to be done and the house had to be clean. And it was like I never did anything, Yeah, you know, because that never happened. Of course, and it's never going to happen. I have news for you. Never going to happen. Yeah, so so that was the the first, like, thing that I really let go of was this idea of perfect time and mm. and I started like just really allowing myself if I only have 15 minutes in a day to write you can write a paragraph in 15 minutes yes and if you're doing something you know even like a novel like they stack up um so I'm always trying to tell people like if you want to write I mean I spent many years thinking about writing a novel but if you write just a page a day, which is like 250 words, double space, at the end of a year, you'll have a novel draft, like yeah. an average size novel draft. That is such a reality and, check. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's really doable. And I'm not someone that like, I don't believe that you have to write every day or I think the more rules we put on ourselves, like the harder it just, they're just become, I feel like rules become blocks basically. Yes, totally. But, um, but what I do, you know, because I not only do I have a very full time job, but my job schedule changes every week, which mm. is incredibly frustrating. Wow. Um, so I can never say, oh, every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Right. So I'll go to the library because I could be working Wednesday and Friday night. 
So what I do is, once I get my work schedule, I just sit down and I block out my week, and I block out the times I'm going to go to the Y, and I block out the times I'm going to write, and um, and I just really honor those times. Um, I think that that's really important. And really, sometimes it could be just a half an hour, but I, but I find the more, for me, like, if I, I try not to let too much time um in between writing sessions because I feel like I have to crawl back a little yes. to the thing if it's not fresh. So I try to keep it really fresh. Um, for me, this wouldn't work with all jobs, but for me, I feel like baking is the perfect job for a writer because it's in some ways it's the opposite. Like it's very physical and it's very, I get like immediate feedback, I get immediate like satisfaction of making something and then having people be happy about it. Yes. <laughs> Whereas like novels, years. Um, and I also just, I'm really lucky that I have a lot of time built into my job to think. So I actually end up doing most of my novel problem solving while I'm like peeling apples. Oh, I love um, that. So I try to use that time really productively. So, so at the end of my writing session during the day, I'll kind of make myself just little quick notes about what I'm going to be writing next. I try to, I'm not an outliner, but I like to know what the next scene is. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I'll just bring those notes with me in the morning and kind of read them over and then let them go and, and focus on my job. But I find that uh, the kind of the answers pop up. And so when I actually sit down at the computer, I'm not spending a lot of time kind of spacing out trying to figure out what I'm doing because right. I've, I've done the thinking. Um, and also baking was great. I mean, it was really great because it taught, I get feedback a lot and baking really taught me how to receive feedback and how to work with it. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it's been a great companion that way too. So yeah, sometimes it's tricky. I mean, I do not write the month of December because I am chained to my baking station. You are the pie queen, right? From Thanksgiving oh, on, <laughs> and Thanksgiving cakes and on. cookies and yeah. Yeah, but you know that going job. in, right? So you maybe can let go of that self pressure of like, oh my god, I'm not writing, and exactly, can let go exactly. of that sort of punishment feeling and say, this is what it is, and I I will come back to it. Yeah, and I just look forward to January. And, yes, you know, and and. And try to do as much thinking as I can. So I'm like really like ready to get back to the computer yes. in January. There's and so yeah, much so. great stuff there that you said. I heard that you actually block time in your calendar because I think a lot of people when they're pursuing their creative passion, they actually don't schedule it. Like, especially mm. if they're beginning out, like that's part of owning it, right? Is that they're yeah. not actually scheduling it in. Like we should be able to look at someone's calendar and say, oh, I see you want to be a sculptor because you've allotted time for that. <laughs> I see that you right. want to be a writer because I see it every other day. Exactly. And I, what I also heard you saying, Louise, is that you love that notion of like keeping traction. So it doesn't have to be that you're doing these big, long blocks of writing or you're going off to, you know, live in a cabin and write your great mm -hmm. novel, but that you're just doing small daily actions or whenever it works for your schedule, that's that daily sort of routine of, or not even daily, but that routine of just touching the material, working with it, thinking about it, keeps that traction going so that you never hit that like lull and creative drop that then you have to like pull yourself back into. Right. Right. Yeah, it's so yeah, fantastic. I feel like that keeping the ball in the air is so important. Yes, it's yeah. huge. And also, I think like really looking for those like 
examples of people like my friend Kate Reculia. Her her actually her book just came out today called Tuesday Mooney to Go, and it's fantastic. But Kate worked very much full time when she wrote her first two novels, and she just wrote on the weekends, mm. and she didn't write during the week. and And I think it's so freeing when you know, okay, Saturday, Sunday morning, that's what I'm going to do. Um, but then you're not spending Monday through Friday feeling guilty. You're allowed to have friends. You're allowed to have your family. You're allowed to, you know, get things done and go grocery shopping and not, I think we give ourselves so much pressure and so much guilt um, about not working. I think that knowing when you're going to is so helpful. And then also, like, my favorite example of someone making time is the author, uh, Jeff Spencer, who his first book. Oh, I'm going to forget. It's about snake handling, like young kids. But he wrote his first novel on his iPhone on a city bus I love on his commute every day, <laughs> and which is crazy when you think about it. But it's a brilliant book. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I love that example because it's such a great use of time. I love it. It's And it's something you said, too, when you said, like, you get clarity when you're peeling apples. It's so important when you have this creative passion to understand there's time when you're working on that creative passion. You know, the butt is in the seat, you're writing, you're practicing your instrument, whatever it is, you're sculpting. But then that time away from it, when you're doing something uh, physical with your body, that's Mm -hmm. when a lot of the cognition can occur and the connections can be made. So there's like that, even when you're working on it, when you're working on it, you're working on it. But even when you're not working, you're kind of working on it too. Um, and that you need both. You actually need both. And actually, sometimes for a lot of us, without that sort of day job or regular structure, we might actually go a little cuckoo if all we did was sit at a desk and try and be creative and write because we, we need to oh, bump up I, against yeah. life and, and have the, the satisfaction that I'm sure you have when you make a beautiful tort, right? That then, ah, there it is. I made the thing. <laughs> exactly. And I got to exactly. say, guys, you have to hop over to her Instagram feed if you want to drool at the beautiful, <laughs> lush things that this woman creates it's absolutely beautiful and inspiring um which leads me to something else I just want to touch on with you is this whole notion of like social media as artists um because as I said I heard you give that amazing talk at the Muse in the Marketplace writing conference in Boston I think that was over a year and a half ago now and as soon as it was over, like you were just flooded. I think there was like a line of like 75 people waiting ah. to talk to you. And I had been sitting in the front, but I had been so like trying to take notes and take in all the information you gave that I didn't get in line fast enough. I thought, well, and what's that going to do? I'm going to say, thank you for your lecture. I really enjoyed it. And then like, I'll never talk to her again. So I started like stalking you on Twitter. <laughs> and luckily we, we have a lot in common though. We both love gardening and obviously we're both writers. And you said, hey, follow me on Instagram. I do more photos there. And we just sort of started talking online really and now here we are you're on the podcast sharing this information with people and to me that's an example of how as artists we can create community it's to me it's not a waste of time to be on social media if you're actually looking to help connect with people who are like-minded connect them with other people and share more of sort of the rigors of the daily process but also the joy of it and I was just wondering like your take on like how do you handle social media in the midst of everything else you're doing? Like, do you have a strategy or what do you think about it all? You know, I, it's all pretty organic for me. Mm. Um, but I love what you just said. That's like the perfect example of why I love social media. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, 
You know, it's kind of like everything. You can you can find the really horrible sides of it, or you can find the really great sides. And um, so I like usually my time with social media is usually I commute. I don't drive. I take a train. So um, that's my social time. Like lunch break at work, um, a little bit in the afternoon. Um, so I don't. I don't. I try not to let it take up too much time, um, but I really, really enjoy it. And my, my favorite is Instagram. I have a visual arts background, so I really, that's like the place I go, like just for pleasure. And I really love Twitter too. I mean, my absolute, I love connecting with other artists and I absolutely love getting to connect with readers. So it, to me, it's just this win-win place where I can talk with people I really admire and I can ask for advice and, um, and then at the same time, people can reach out to me, and I find that so touching, and I appreciate it so much. Um, but yeah, I think it's, um, especially if you're just alone for hours, you don't have a lot of, like, friends that are in your, working in your medium, or, you know, it's, it can be really isolating to just be alone in your head doing your work. Um, so I like kind of getting out there. But I do have... Um, I have boundaries with social media and I have like a few rules for myself. Like I really, um, I keep my social media very positive and not in a saccharine way. I, I really had a rule of like, I want whatever I put out there to be genuine and for me to feel like myself when I'm doing it. And which means like, usually I can be a little bit of a goofball and like, and I, but I, I don't enjoy I feel like life is stressful enough and like, I just don't enjoy kind of like rage Twitter. Like, so that's just <laughs> not my thing. Um, so I avoid all of that and I avoid kind of making, I just avoid going down that road. So I, I'm very particular about how I use it. And then I very much, um, I make heavy use of the mute button. <laughs> and, um, you know, if, if, I'm just finding like someone I love dearly is just ranting about something, you know, writing or ranting about something and publishing. And, and it's, I'm finding it's just making me feel stressed. Um, I will mute that person for a while. Like, it doesn't mean I don't love them, mm -hmm. um, but you know, but I, but I try to really preserve my own sanity. I love um, that. And you... I, and I take breaks because there mm. are certain times of the year where I find like as a writer in the kind of public marketplace like you know December is all the end of the that you know best books of the year end of the year lists and then the most anticipated lists of the year for the following year and and that can get really exhausting and hard and um yeah so I just I let myself um take breaks and and love that you really even though you said it at the top you're like oh it's very organic but actually it's not because you have a plan girl <laughs> you're like uh, yeah. you're yeah. like I keep it positive you know I engage in things that are sort of moving the needle forward in terms of joy positivity and to me all of your posts at least on Instagram it's like a little mini piece of art that you're kind of putting out there um, and then on Twitter, I think, especially for us writers, it's super useful because you can literally throw up a flag and ask a question and, you know, hashtag am writing and like seven yeah. writers will like follow that hashtag and they will give you concrete answers and help you right there. 
Um, I've gotten some things published through like little connections on Twitter. Um, so it's all in how you use it. Right. And setting up boundaries too. I'm the same way. There's some stuff I never, people wouldn't even know that I'm married if they followed my feet. I mean, they see a ring on my finger, but (laughs) who, who is this strange person? Cause there's boundaries there. But I think as artists, if you're really looking at cultivating your feed in the spirit of the art that you create, you can't go wrong because people need more of that in their lives. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I really feel like I think there's a lot of myths around the feeling that like you have to be on it or to like right. sell your books, you need to be promoting like crazy. And I just don't really subscribe to that. Like mm. I, I really I'll mention stuff when it's happening, but I don't um I don't aggressively try to get followers and um I just kind of try to show up in a way that I enjoy. And if I find I'm not enjoying it, I, you know, take a step back. Well, that it works. It works, Louise, because you attract people to you like an open flower. The bees just fly to you (laughs) because it comes through in in the books, the way your books read, the way your social media feeds read. It's very much, um, it is positive. It's creative. Um, it's thoughtful and it's always about people sort of evolving and being willing to evolve. And that comes through. And I think that attracts quote unquote followers and that what makes your readers feel like they can tweet to you and say, Hey, I really loved your book. Um, and again, I have to just give my, my plug here. I think I've given the city baker's guide to country living, I think to six people now they might be like, okay, (laughs) um, really absolutely fantastic books. And I just can't thank you enough for coming on today. I think you've really sort of been very clear and demystified how to pursue your creative passion and keep your day job, which is like to start, to start now schedule it in, find people who can support you and to share your work as you go. And just to really be yourself um, is sort of the overall message that I get from you. Yeah, I think it's the most important thing. Mm. It really is. Because what's the point otherwise? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Like it, it really makes no sense to not be yourself. Oh, it's beautiful. Thank you so much for coming on today, Louise. Oh, I just thank you so much appreciate for it me. so much. I've gone from like a fangirl to now I got to like interview you and like shout about your books. And please, people, go check her out at louisemiller.net and go off and, and like bake something now, probably, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank, well, you, thank you, so Louise. Much, All I right. Appreciate it. Take good care. Too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. So there you go, guys. Wasn't that an amazing talk from Louise Miller? Just what a fantastic novelist, fantastic human being, and so, so creative. So you guys have homework now because you cannot possibly listen to all that inspiration and wisdom from the fabulous author and not think, hmm, maybe I could take a little step towards my creative passion. So hop on over to GitaBrown.com below this episode. Just drop a little comment. Tell me what's that little creative passion you're wanting to do and tell me one thing you're going to do this week to take an action. It can be something small, people. It doesn't have to be big. It can be calling a friend and talking about it. It could be just sitting down and journaling about your idea for a little while. Just something small. You heard what Louise said. Just that small little daily investment of just looking at what you're doing over time adds up to books on the shelf and sharing your passion with the world. So drop on over to geetbrown.com. Leave me a comment. Tell me what action you're taking today in pursuit of your dream. And if you're not doing it today, schedule it in and let me know when you schedule it so we can give you a little social support. I'm there for you. Remember, you are the kind of person who can share your creative vision with the world. 
wellness, and creativity is yours for the having, and we are here to support you. So I'm going to close with a little chant for peace, pump you up with some peace and some good energy to go pursue that creative dream. This is a chant that was taught to me by my teachers in the integral yoga tradition. I'll do it in the original Sanskrit first and then in the English translation afterwards so you can get a nice little creative buzz. Loka samasta sukhino bhavantu Loka samasta sukhino bhavantu Loka samasta sukhino bhavantu May the entire universe be filled with peace and joy, love and light. Now go get creating and let me know how it goes over at GeetaBrown.com. I'll see you soon, my friends. Om Shanti. Peace to you. Peace to you.